So this story starts with Lexi Rizzo. She's 25 years old and lives in Buffalo, New York. That's Greg Jaffe. He's a national reporter at The Post. And this past March, she walks into her job at Starbucks. She's been going to work for months, worried that this is the day that she's going to get fired. I knew anything I did imperfectly would get me fired. Just trying to be the best at my job. Like, if they need me, they can't fire me. So Lexi had been working for Starbucks for, you know, nearly eight years. And back in August of 2021, uh, she decided to organize her store as part of a growing movement there in Buffalo. And she was instrumental in helping uh, her store unionize and become one of the first, one of the first two in America to unionize. And that brought a lot of attention to her and it brought a lot of attention to her store. On that day in late March, Lexi was right. That ended up being the day that she was fired. Um, and right after she walks out of the store, one of her colleagues holds up a phone, an iPhone, and asks her um, if she has anything that she wants to say to Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks. And so at that point, Lexi just unloads a lot of her anger and frustration. I have given every ounce of everything that I have to this company. There is no one that has worked with me that will not tell you that I do not love and care for this place and my partners and my customers. My heart is broken. I don't know how you sleep at night. I don't know how you look at yourself in the mirror. You have hundreds of thousands of people giving everything that they have so that you can make another dollar and then you treat us like we're dirt. It's disgusting. I thought Lexi could really be a, a, a sort of a, a glowing example, a, a poster child for everything that Howard Schultz wanted Starbucks to be. She's a person who loves her job, who's found meaning in her job, and um, and who's used it as a ladder to the middle class, to a, a piece of the American dream. And so I thought Starbucks should be just immensely proud of her. And instead, what happens is she gets fired. Um, and I just thought, I really wanted to understand what had happened there. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elahe Izadi. It's Wednesday, June 21st. Today, how one barista fought to unionize her Starbucks. Greg brings us this story and a look at the U.S. labor laws that are supposed to protect workers who are organizing unions. My colleague Rhonda Colvin spoke with Greg about his reporting. She'll take it from here. So, Greg, tell me about Lexi. What's her background? How did she end up working at Starbucks? I first meet Lexi in December of 2021, right actually on the day her store wins its union election. Uh, and I sat down and interviewed her a couple of days later. And uh, her personal story just struck me as really remarkable. You know, she grows up uh, in, a, in, in Naples, Florida. Both of her parents are in and out of jail for most of her childhood for drug addiction issues um, and and uh, burglary. We got evicted from every apartment we lived in. I never lived in a place for longer than a year, my how whole many, life. How many times do you think you got evicted? Every year. Every year. You know, she doesn't graduate from high school, gets her GED, and ends up working at Starbucks at 17. It's a, a stable job. And so Starbucks is a lifesaver for her. Since I was 17, like, that was the first, like, stable family environment I've ever experienced, uh -huh. even though it was, like, people who were being paid to be there. 
She enrolls in Arizona State University. Starbucks has this great program where if you are a Starbucks worker and you work more than 20 hours a week, you can go to Arizona State online for free. She illustrates in so many ways what's great about Starbucks. She loves interacting with her customers. Like I have girls coming through my drive-thru sobbing all the time and I just give them free coffee and it makes them, it makes a difference. She's one of these people in every store who's kind of like the store mom that people go to when they have problems or issues and she was that kind of person. So what was the breaking point for her when she decided that she wanted to be a part of the union? So there were a few reasons. I think one thing that's worth saying is she did really love her job and she loved the work, but she and her colleagues were frustrated about their schedules. Their hours could be really unpredictable. You know, their hours would change, but their rent would be the same, they would often say. Uh, And it was really hard to plan their lives. Um, She was also frustrated about the health insurance. Starbucks offers all of its employees, even its part-time workers, health insurance. And Howard Schultz is really proud of that fact. But for Lexi, her insurance wasn't always covering her bills. And so she racked up some really serious medical debts. How much medical debt do you have? Like every surgery I've gotten is like a few thousand dollars. And I haven't been able to pay it because I was working at Starbucks. I was already broke. And so I think... Part of it was wanting better health insurance. And then part of it was just a frustration that I think she wanted more say over her work life, more say over uh, what was happening in her store. So the union push at the Buffalo store, it starts gaining traction. And Lexi is a big part of that. How does Starbucks respond? I think alarm was their response, that their view was that this is a really terrible thing. So Howard Schultz at that point, he's the founder of Starbucks, but doesn't at that point have a formal position with the company. Um, He resigns, if you remember, to run for president in uh, 2020, uh, which was unsuccessful. But he's the founder. um, He's the father of the company in so many ways. And so he's really alarmed that the union will destroy the culture that he built at Starbucks. And it's that culture that he thinks is as much as the coffee or more than the coffee is key to Starbucks' success. So he goes about three weeks before the union drive. He flies to Buffalo and gives a speech in a big hotel there to all the workers. Starbucks became the first company in America to provide comprehensive health insurance for every single employee, including part-time people. Now, who, who forced us to do that? Who pushed us to do it? No one. We did it because we thought it was the right thing. He doesn't tell them not to unionize, but the implication is clear. And the other thing that Starbucks does is it floods Buffalo with managers from around the country. Now, Starbucks says uh, that the reason for doing this is that the Buffalo stores were underperforming, that they were not. Uh, operating to standard, that they were letting workers down, and that they needed to bring them up to the Starbucks standard. The first thing that they did in the beginning of all this was turn our, take, make our stores not feel like home anymore by put, bringing in all these strangers. And that was the biggest hit to people in the beginning was like, when I come to work, it doesn't even feel like I'm at my store anymore. I don't even know these people. I don't, it doesn't feel like home. So you have, you know, dozens upon dozens of these support managers, they're called, from all over the country, parachuting into stores. Um, And so in Lexi's store, you know, usually the manager's only on the headset, the internal headset, um, when they're working the bar or something like that. Now the manager's listening constantly. 
And then Starbucks hires a bunch more workers at these stores, which they believe, um, the Starbucks managers believe, are understaffed. Um, the union uh, supporters in the stores, the union baristas, worry that Starbucks is trying to dilute the vote at these stores by bringing in you know, new people who may not support or vote for the union. Um, you know, the other thing that happens around this time is that the head of Starbucks North America, a woman named Rossanne Williams, essentially decamps to Buffalo. She'll say she was there um, to try and fix a market that was broken, stores that were unclean. The employees see her as her presence there as an effort to try and convince workers not to unionize. But in the end, the Buffalo store where Lexi works and another Starbucks there do successfully create a union. I'm there in... Uh, December 2021, when they win the vote. And you think, well, this is just two lousy Starbucks out of 9,000 Starbucks across the United States. Um, How big a deal could this be? You know, you're talking maybe 40 workers. But I can remember just the workers jumping for joy. And Lexi leaps in the air, and they're crying, and hugging. They've triumphed over this Goliath of a company. There were TV reporters from Europe, you know, from France, from Germany. What happens is they start getting calls from all over the country of other workers who want to unionize. I think it quickly becomes a national campaign. So after the efforts in Buffalo are successful, how many stores unionize after that? So today, there are about 320 stores across the country that have voted to join this union, this nascent union. But, you know, that's only out of 9,000 stores across the U.S. You know, and that's just the U.S. And Starbucks has the ability to, to make it, you know, the union people will say, make it really hard in these small number of stores for them. What happens to Lexi after her store unionizes? So as the union drive starts and continues, uh, Lexi's schedule changes. She'd been a closer for most of uh, her career. I had always been a closing shift, so I'd work 1 to 9.30 pretty much every night, five nights a week. And around this time, she switched to openings, which means that she's got to be at the store sometimes at 4.30, sometimes at 5.30 in the morning. And it's a big change for her. And so especially initially, in in those first few months as she switches over, she oversleeps a few times as she adjusts to the new schedule. Um, And that's when uh, some of the warnings and disciplinary actions begin. At the same time, she's going through some health problems. She has a case of, of severe endometriosis, and the medication that she's taking for it is giving her migraines. And so she's in a fair amount of, of pain. Um, but for one long stretch there, she goes essentially a year without being late again until one morning. I woke up to one of my coworkers banging on our front door because um, he was terrified that something had happened to me, considering I very out of character for me to just not show up to work and not call. Uh-huh. Everyone knows how much I care. I would never just not show up and not call on purpose. So they all thought I had gotten in a car accident or something. Immediately calls her boss uh, in tears. She's several hours late that morning. And so she gets what's a final written warning. Now you're one step away from uh, being fired. She's beginning to feel a lot of pressure throughout this period. Um, The notion that if she oversleeps again makes it harder to sleep in some ways because, you know, gosh, if I don't get up for this 4.30 a.m., 5.30 a.m. shift, I've lost my job. 
the other thing that she had uh, confided was that, uh, you know, she'd struggled with an eating disorder um, uh, when she was a, a teenager and had largely put it behind her. I had had a really good handle on it until this happened, and then I didn't. It was like I lost control of everything else because Starbucks was doing what they were doing. It was like the one thing I had control over still, which is a big thing. Right, that's a big thing with eating disorders. It's about exerting control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I lost it all, so I think my brain was just like, but there's one thing. It's just a very stressful period. She's trying to finish college at this point, online college. She's in her, her last semester. She also doesn't want to get fired because this union movement means a lot to her. Um, I think she sees it not just about changing Starbucks, but about revitalizing the labor movement in America. Um, I think she feels like if Starbucks workers can unionize, all service workers can unionize. She sees herself as part of this much larger movement that she doesn't want to let down. And how does she ultimately get fired? So the final written warning comes in September of 2022. She oversleeps. Her manager tells her, hey, you're 57 minutes late, you're on a final written warning, and she's trying to be on time during this period. That's when she has a couple of times where she's one minute late, she's four minutes late, um, uh, one minute late. Um, uh, and then she finds out that she's fired um, uh, on March 31st of 2023. And how did that make her feel once she was fired? I think she's heartbroken is what she'll say. It's like not even like they took away my job. They like... They knew how to get me where it hurts. They really do. It's not just my job. Um, like my whole adult life since I was 17 years old. I don't have family. Really, I don't. This is my family. She feels like she messed up. She feels like she's let down the union. She feels like she's let down her coworkers. She's really angry. Everything I've done for this company, like, oh my God. I am on my hands and knees scooping out of the drains, scrubbing this place, like cleaning the toilets with my bare hand, like doing things no one else would do, scrubbing rotten milk out of the fridges. Like I have destroyed my body and my mind for this company and then they're going to fire me for being one minute late. It kills me. And she's worried for herself. So I think one of the things that happens just prior to her getting fired, about two weeks before she's fired, her uh, boyfriend who she's lived with for several years is biking to work where he's a bartender and is hit by a car uh, that breaks his kneecap and wrist. And so he's unable to work. And so I think she's terrified for herself. Like, how am I going to survive? How am I going to pay my rent? Um, she doesn't have health insurance at that point. Um, uh, she doesn't have a job. Starbucks income was their only income, so she was supporting both of them. After the break, we'll hear what Starbucks says about why Lexi was fired. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. 
See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. And why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. So, Greg, what was Lexi's view on why she was fired by Starbucks? I think Lexi feels um, that she was fired because of her union activity, because she was a key organizer in this event, that she acknowledges being late, but feels like that her tardiness wasn't uncommon, particularly for openers, that it happened with some regularity, but that she was targeted because she was a union organizer. And what was Starbucks' view on this? Starbucks' view is that she was a great employee, um, uh, a valued employee, but that she had problems with chronic tardiness, that they tried to work with her, and that she continued to to struggle in that area, and therefore the firing was justified. Starbucks has been pretty firm since the beginning of this campaign that they haven't broken any U.S. labor laws, that they haven't discriminated against any union workers. And while they think that the company is far better off without a union, um, they've also said that they don't uh, intend to infringe upon their workers' rights to unionize if that's what they want to do. And what did Lexi do? Did she fight back? So yeah, Lexi does fight back. Lexi and the unions take her case to the National Labor Relations Board, or the NLRB. And the NLRB is essentially the referee in the process. Their job is to enforce workers' rights, make sure that they're protected from retaliation. And so the NLRB takes up Lexi's case. Um, In some cases, they push to have her written warnings taken off her record. Um, uh, The main thing that they're pushing for is eventually for her to get her job back. But Lexi's just one example of a worker, um, you know, who, who believes that they've been mistreated as a result of their unionizing activity. Um, In the last year, administrative law judges have ruled that Starbucks has violated U.S. labor law more than 130 times across six states, and it's a lot of violations. What are the consequences of these rulings against Starbucks by the judges? So usually the judges will rule that the Starbucks has to rehire the employees, in some cases with back pay. Um, I think, and Starbucks then... Uh, has the legal right to appeal. You know, it can take anywhere from six or seven months to to a couple of years before people get hired back. But it's a long, slow, torturous, and very bureaucratic process. And I think companies realize to a certain extent that they can run out the clock on it or extend it and make it hard on the unions that are trying to organize, make it hard on the workers who are waiting to get their jobs back. Uh, And people like Lexi are stuck in that cycle right now. Okay, I want to zoom in on Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks. In early March, he testified in front of a Senate panel. What happened at that hearing? Yeah, so Bernie Sanders, um, the head of uh, the Health, Education, and uh, Labor and Pensions Committee, the HELP Committee, essentially forces Schultz to testify. Over the past 18 months... Starbucks has waged the most aggressive and illegal union-busting campaign in the modern history of our country. That union-busting campaign has been led by Howard Schultz, the multi-billionaire founder and director of Starbucks, who, 
is with us this morning only under the threat of subpoena. They are trying to shame him, I think, into following what they see as the law. It's important to note that Starbucks doesn't think it's breaking the law. It thinks it's following the law. Are you aware that NLRB judges have ruled that Starbucks violated federal labor law over 100 times during the past 18 months, far more than any other corporation in America? Sir, Starbucks Coffee Company unequivocally, and let me set the tone for this very early on, has not broken the law. Okay. And so what you have is the Democrats on the committee trying to convince Schultz to respect the rights of his workers to organize. Howard Schultz tells a famous story that is essential to sort of who he is, who he thinks Starbucks is as a company, and who he wants it to be as a company. Starbucks Coffee Company has always been steeped in humanity, respect, and shared success. It's a vision that was inspired by the struggles of my father, a World War II veteran who slipped on a sheet of ice in 1960 and was promptly fired from his job as a delivery driver. And the family, as Howard tells it, is essentially plunged into poverty. It fractured our family, and it deeply scarred me. Howard recalls his mom referring to his father as Mr. Horizontal because he spends the rest of his life not working especially hard on the couch. And so Howard feels like part of the reason why his father's life fell apart is because his company didn't treat him with dignity, didn't provide him health insurance. And so Howard is going to treat his workers with dignity and respect. He's going to be a good employer. Um, I think what the Democratic senators are telling Howard is, hey, look, you, you think you're a good guy, that these employers are just like your father. So you say that your father was unfairly fired after he was injured on the job. Your father had no rights, and your family paid the price. That is how your workers now feel. They have no rights. And Howard's comeback to them is, unions are for companies that treat their workers badly. I don't treat my workers badly. If they tell us what they need, we will listen and provide it for them. So, Greg, Lexi got fired a few months ago. What's happened to her since then? In April, she goes before an administrative law judge, which is essentially a trial, um, who will decide whether to take the final written warning off her record. At some point in the future, she'll go to yet another trial with yet another administrative law judge uh, who will decide whether she should get her job back. You know, in each of those cases, um, she'll get cross-examined um, by the Starbucks attorneys. They're trying to make these implications about who I am and try to imply that I'm a bad person who doesn't care about my job. And I just know, like, that's so not true. The process, you know, likely will take uh, a couple of years. Um, and is far from certain she may or may not get her job back. So in the meantime, you know, Lexi has rent to pay. She's got bills to pay. So she needs to find a new job. You've been reporting on labor movements in this country for a while now. And I'm wondering, where does Lexi's story fit in when we think about why workers today want to unionize, even in the face of possible retaliation? I think a lot of them come to it with the frustration that something about the American economy is broken, something about our country is broken. And they don't see the political system as a viable path to fixing it. Like, I found a 
dying seagull when I was fishing and I couldn't leave it there and had to take it home and try to help it. It died because it was dying, but I can't not. Right, <laughs> something. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. So um, I think unionizing, it's like, it's the same thing. It's just on a bigger scale. It's like, we have an entire class of our society that's like suffering unnecessarily, that doesn't have the capability to lift themselves out because of just the way things are structured. Because of the system? Sure. Yeah. I think part of what they see is broken is that you know, there are these big forces out there that just make it very hard for them to get ahead. That something about the American dream and the ladder to the American dream no longer works for enough Americans. And I think Lexi's hope is like, hey, if, if we can get a good contract from Starbucks, if we can negotiate a good contract, we can show that this is possible for service workers to organize. And who knows where this goes next? Maybe it's Dollar General workers that organize. Maybe it's Burger King workers or McDonald's workers that we can really start to change um, America and address some of the things that they see as not just wrong in their workplaces, not just wrong in their day-to-day -day lives, but things wrong with the American economy, growing inequality, um, lack of affordable health care. I think they see the political system is broken and this system is a way in which they can get some real change. Greg Jaffe, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Greg Jaffe is a national reporter for The Post. He was interviewed by my colleague Rhonda Colvin. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced by Ariel Plotnick and edited by Monica Campbell. It was mixed by Sean Carter. If you want to show your support for Post Reports, please consider subscribing to The Washington Post. It's a great way to support the work we do. And you get access to the kind of in-depth profiles our reporters, like Greg, do all the time. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. <laughs>